Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to New Books and Psychoanalysis. This is Philip Lance, your host for today's podcast. Today I'm interviewing Dominic Scarfoni about his book, The Unpassed, The Actual Unconscious, published by The Unconscious in Translation, which is the name of a publishing house, in 2015. And this this is a book that has a really big idea in it, and I think can have a powerful effect upon how we hear our clients' material. So I'm really excited. It had a had a really big impact on me, and I'm excited to share this with our listeners and hope they'll um, have the same reaction and possibly want to buy the book to learn more. Um, Dominic Scarfoni is a full professor at the Department of Psychology of the University of Montreal, where he teaches psychoanalytic theory, he does clinical supervision, and he conducts research. He's also in private practice, and he's a member of the Canadian Psychoanalytic Society and Institute. He was an associate editor of the International Journal of Psychoanalysis, and he's on the editorial board of the Psychoanalytic Quarterly. He's published four books, one called Jean Laplanche, or that's the French title. In English, it's, I think it was translated Laplanche, an introduction. Um, three other books with French titles that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. And uh, he's also co-edited Unrepresented States and the Construction of Meaning with Howard Levine and Gail Reed, which was a, another great book that probably we should interview somebody here in New Books and Psychoanalysis. So welcome to the program, Dominic. Hi, Philip. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. And, you know, I first became acquainted with you. I'd seen your name here and there in in the literature, but um, I think you were on a panel. There's an IPA, International Psychoanalytic Association, webcast every couple months. And can you can you tell us what that was about? Yes, uh, this was this, this was the, the, the first um, international webinar by the IPA. And I was invited along with a French colleague uh, to discuss the notion of après coup or Nachtreglichkeit, as Freud would have it in German, uh, in order to give a, 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 an idea of this uh, very important concept that is central to most psychoanalytic thinkers in French-speaking analysis, but perhaps not. Well, now it's it's it, it, it's gained quite a lot of popularity also in English-speaking quarters, but it used to be a less well-known and less well-mastered concept uh, until recently. So it was about describing and explaining what après-coup is about. And there were three panelists. So you're saying one of the other panelists was a French psychoanalyst. And then you're kind of a French psychoanalyst too, right? Yes, well, I, I was trained in the in Montreal on the French side of the Canadian Psychoanalytic Society, 
and uh, where the influence is certainly mostly from France. And uh, in in my case, in the in the case of the society where I was trained, uh, mostly from uh, the non-Lacanian uh, French psychoanalysis uh, school, let's call it that way. And I was brought by by chance, in in a way, to be closer to the work of Jean Laplanche, uh, who, along with Pontalis, is well known for the famous language of psychoanalysis, which is a, a tool, uh, a, a very important tool for any analyst who wants to 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 have a grasp of uh, psychoanalytic concepts, Freudian concepts at least. And so I was, yeah, you could say I was trained mostly in a French approach to psychoanalysis, although I am also acquainted with the work of Lacan, of course, but it was mostly with Laplanche and other thinkers such as Pierre Aulagnier. Uh, to a certain extent, André Green was also important, although much less so uh, than Laplanche. Well, there may be sort of a growing sort of awareness in North America of French psychoanalysis. Um, something seems to be happening, and you're well positioned. You sort of straddle two worlds because you're here and you're in North America. You're in Canada. That's right. Yes, of course. Yes, and I, 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 I have, I have the opportunity to 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 teach uh, a lot in in the U.S. I, I go here and there in many uh, institutes in North America, and so I have a, a constant feedback, and I. I, as you say, I straddle in, in, two, in two cultures and find that uh, it's a most interesting experience. Yeah, well, I think it's, um, it was very useful to me. I've, I've always kind of been curious about French psychoanalysis, but have a hard time sort of getting into it. I found some of the readings really difficult. And, but your book, I think, was the first one I've read that felt like it was written for me as an American to sort of, I really understood a lot. Oh, good. I'm happy to hear that. Didn't before. And you must speak several languages because I saw in some of the footnotes of your book, you were even translating Jorge Luis Borges, which is a Spanish author, and you were translating some German. How many languages? Well, I, 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 was, I was born in Italy, so Italian is my mother tongue. Oh. So Spanish is very easy for me indeed. I do not speak German, unfortunately, but I can read it. I, I once learned German, but for lack of practice, mm -hmm. I lost most of it. But I still can read a sentence, and so I use it, I use this little knowledge I have to sometimes check for the accuracy of translations in Freud. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, well, I, I didn't even know about the Italian. I knew, obviously, about the French and the English, and then I saw Spanish. Now, now Italian, too. Um, <clears throat> Well, let's see. On the back cover of this book, um, it says that this uh, a portion of this book was the focus of a 2014 Congress of French-speaking psychoanalysts, and I was curious about that. That that this is it was actually a focus of a, a whole Congress. Can you say a little bit about that? Yes, this is a, a very specific characteristic of this French Congress, uh, Congress of French-speaking analysts which has been going on for uh, uh, for decades now. And actually, this is the tradition that was initiated in the Paris Psychoanalytic Society. And just to, to give a hint of the historical importance, uh, what is known as uh, the, um, the Le Rapport de Rome by Lacan, his major, you know, the function and field of language in psychoanalysis, of, of, of speech and language in psychoanalysis was a, one of the main papers that had to be discussed in in this congress in Rome in nineteen in the early fifties. But it, it didn't happen because of all the political quarrels that uh, that went on at the time. But it was in this in this kind this congress, and every year uh, the, the, the French speaking analysts. In this Congress meet a few hundreds of them, and there are one, uh, two, or at the most three papers that are the central focus of uh, of the four day uh, meeting, and so it's a very intense experience. And of course, you can imagine uh, the importance that it takes for the one who is invited to write one of these 
what they call a report, uh, which is a long paper that needs to be thoroughly discussed in uh, under every aspect by hundreds of analysts. And actually, the Congress starts a year in advance because we have to submit the paper uh, a year or so in advance, and then we are invited by uh, societies around the world. In, in the, There is a, at least 20 cities around the world where our study groups meet to, they read these papers and invite the authors to give a, a kind of uh, a pre-Congress discussion before gathering in the given city where the Congress will be held. So this is a very special event, very, very original, and I think very productive in that there is really the opportunity for in-depth discussion, uh, whereas it's not the case when we have, you know, a panel, then you have 20 minutes for asking questions and giving answers. Well, I think it, it must be quite an honor to have a paper chosen to be um sort of a focus of one of these congresses. And I'm I'm going to be curious as our interview goes on. I um I called this, I said I called it a big idea. I know that you draw a lot from Laplanche and other traditions in French psychoanalysis, but I get the impression there's something kind of new you've done um too with some of um the ideas here. And I and I'm, I'm gonna I'm curious about what's uniquely your contribution um, to all of this. But but before we get to that, let's try to like wade, begin wading into what the big idea is. And um, I don't know how else to do this, except maybe begin with one of my first reactions. There was, there was um, this, this kind of truism in psychoanalysis that the unconscious is timeless. And you kind of explain that, well, yes and no. And so... Um, I think that's a really good way, place to enter into this because it's, again, so many people don't even think they think the unconscious is timeless. We think we know what that means, but you have a take on it. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's right. Well, I could not possibly tell you how I came upon this idea, really, because the notion of actuel, uh, which is in, it's in Freud originally, it was. It has been hovering uh, uh, in, in French psychoanalysis that the reference to actuel does uh, is present. Um, for instance, in uh, in psychosomatic thinking, in psychoanalytic psychosomatics, where uh, authors such as Michel de Musin and Pierre Marty went back to the old distinction that Freud made between the psychoneurosis on the one hand and what he called the actual neurosis on the other. And the actual neurosis were those neuroses where you have no fantasy behind the symptom, you have no history of, a, of a, a, a psychic elaboration uh, along on the, in the course of, the, of life, and where you have something that seems bluntly um, uh, actual in the sense of present and without a story behind it. And, and therefore, Freud thought that the actual neurosis, such as uh, hypochondria, for instance, he, he, this was the third actual neurosis with neurasthenia being the other one, and, and uh, anxiety neurosis, these were not amenable to analysis because of this lack of psychic elaboration. But when you read carefully Freud, you discover that he had a more complex thinking about that. And it is that even at the core of every psychoneurosis, such hysteria, obsessive compulsive neurosis, and every well-formed psychic conflictual uh, constellation, there is a kernel of actual neurosis, that there is something that is uh, resistant to any analysis in the end, and therefore that there is a kind of dialectic between this kernel and the, the, the shell, the coating, so to speak, that can be built around it, and that which is really psychic, really elaborate, really mentalized, so if you want to use that word, and so on. Uh, now, uh, starting from there, 
and looking at Freudian theory in, in many other aspects, I, I thought, I discovered that this pattern of a, of a, an internal nucleus, a kernel that is not amenable to analysis and an outer coating or shell that is analyzable is actually pervasive in Freud's thinking. That you have, for instance, the same idea regarding the dream. He, he twice in his book on dreams, he states that uh, uh, the dream contains a, a kernel. Um, uh, he calls it the navel of the dream that cannot be analyzed. That is linked to the unknown. He says, a and then you discover that you can think something similar regarding transference. For instance, the the, the distinction between uh, transference as described in his paper on the dynamics of transference, where you have what he called stereotype plates or, you know, the repetitive pattern that can be, that can be recognized when the transference is, uh, is elaborated in the, in the course of analysis. And then two years later, he writes about uh, the remarks about transference love and he describes a situation where the transference is not anymore a content, but it's a process that sets fire to the theater that, 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 that really aims at destroying the very psychoanalytic scene and where the, 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 the patient does not play the analytic game anymore. So you have something that is in the form of enactment uh, more than psychic elaboration uh, and so on and so forth. So I, I, I started from there and I, 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 I was therefore um, taken by by the idea that timelessness perhaps can be challenged if or at least as you said uh, that it's it's uh, the unconscious is is and is not timeless or let's say it's not that simple uh, why why time because the word actual in french uh, i know that in english when we say actual we mean effectively present or real, um, but there is a time dimension to actual. Even in, in English, I say I think we say the uh, actuality, uh, uh, but actua actuality in French has a, a clear temporal meaning. That is the present time. For instance, the news is called you know the news of the day are the actuality. Uh, and in, in German, most importantly, too, so that when Freud speaks of actual neurosis, uh, there is this dimension of what happens in the present without a, without a perspective uh, towards the past or the future. Okay, so the actual is is what we're looking for when we're listening to a client's material, which is kind of a little shift because... I think when I first came across the word actual neuroses, I was very confused. What's an actual neuroses? What's a psychoneuroses? Then I thought, well, I guess actual neuroses is like a physical ailment. And but that what we're here to treat is the psychoneuroses, meaning the things that are that actually have a psychic coding. But in fact, you're sort of saying, no, we need to focus on the actual neuroses. Well, the yes and no. I'm I'm not saying that we have to focus on them. I say that. By doing analysis, you know, ordinary w analytic work, we will stumble upon the actual kernel at some point, And we have to be ready for that because analysis will hit uh, a, a, a kind of, uh, a kind of major obstacle. And that is, uh, for instance, in the, in the case of transference, that is when the transference is such the intensity of what I prefer to call the transferential crisis rather than the transference neurosis, because it's not all, always neurosis that shows up. You can have a, a psychotic transference. That's when the transference becomes so intense and so difficult to analyze that, that this represents the appearance, the, the, the emergence of this nucleus of uh, unconscious that is not 
registered in the time dimension. So this is what Freud called timeless. But I say, well, it's nothing human really can be can be out of time uh, as, as a general principle, I would say. Though this is a very complicated issue. We, we would need philosophers and uh, it, it's not my topic here. But I, I, I thought, well, you, you could... Th- you could look at things in the in the in the in the following way, um, you know, uh, in traditional medicine in the uh, in, in the Renaissance, um, uh, Ambroise Paré, a great physician, said, you know, that uh, uh, he he only took care of the patient, but God healed it, <laughs> healed the patient. Uh, but there was another saying by I don't remember who, who which was time cures all. Ironically, many critics of psychoanalysis say that our patients get better because the anal- analysis lasts for so long time, for such a long time, that time does its work. Well, I say no. Uh, it's not that time does its work. For for time to do its work. You have to insert time to allow time to work in the mind, whereas the unconscious is precisely what is resistant to the passage of time. So this is why I call the unconscious the unpassed, in the much in the sense of the undead in the in the zombie movies that <laughs> that uh, my teenage uh, sons were so fond of when uh, a number of years ago. And which gave me the idea of this word, the unpassed. That is, it's, yeah, on a calendar, you could say something happened in the past, but in the mind, it's not past. And I think that someone after the fact told me that, remind me this quote from William Faulkner, the past is never dead. It's not even past. And I think that this describes very well what we mean by the unconscious, considering that consciousness is inseparable from time. So that if you have the unconscious, it must be in a, in a, in a very complicated relationship to, to time, or as Freud would have it, as timeless. But I challenge the word timeless for the reason that, in principle, it would be the only the, the only example of something that would be uh, set outside of time, but also because there is a form of time which Freud himself described, and this the repetition compulsion, which is the 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 the, the eternal repetition the loop, which says now 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 this is why the, the, the image on the cover of my book on the dust jacket is about this Steinberg uh, drawing of a clock where the, the, the arms of the clock point not to numbers, but to the word now, all around the clock. It, the time of the unconscious is always now. So the idea of the unpast is to say that there is a form of time and that hopefully the work of analysis will be able to you know, insert itself in this repetitive loop and and extract some uh, genuine chronological time that is create a genuine past out of this on past so since i've read your book now when i listen to clients materials I'm, i have this in my mind and so i kind of see the actual showing up or the unconscious showing up in two different ways one is like a patient will come in and talk about something that happened with somebody and it's kind of the same old thing that happened again and it keeps happening and it's going to keep happening. Um, or so that's when I think, aha, that's the actual thing that hasn't been put inserted into history and time yet. But I guess the other way is when something's happening between me and the client, the transference, and it's, it's, it's a similar disturbing or um, something that's happening that hasn't yet been put into language or representation. And 
And so, so those are the two way two ways I think of it. Um, yes, and, and and remember that in Freud, transference was directly linked with repetition and resistance. So resistance is repetition. This is what resistance is. Resistance to what is resistance to becoming inserted in in consciousness and therefore in the time flow of consciousness where there is a a past present future perspective in the unconscious you don't have you don't have a future you don't have a past a real past you have an eternal present if you want so this is the unpast that i speak of or the the actual dimension the actual time dimension of of unconscious contents Okay, so I'm sitting with a client. I have this transference, I think you called it a crisis or something, the beginning to emerge. I'm aware that the the un, <laughs> the, the unpassed is present. Um, then what do I do with that? Um, I mean, I guess, yeah. So can you talk about that? Well, the idea here is not that you have to do something special. Uh, uh Working with this concept does not mean that you have to to change uh, the psychoanalytic method, at least uh, if by psychoanalytic method we really mean the one that was uh, sent down to us by uh, the Freud's discovery and invention. That is, you know, by the work of free association and of analysis in the strict sense of uh, in the precise sense of uh, what the word means, that is decomposing the formations that were constructed along a lifetime by, by the patient and who led him or her to, to some kind of impasse, uh, then you, by analyzing, you will be faced with the effect of uh, this emergence of, of the actual, of which is nothing else but the emergence of unconscious elements in uh, as if they appear to us in a more in, in a more in a naked form so to speak now what do you do with that well you have first of all to rely on the fact that the patient will not tolerate you know staying in the in that state forever the 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 work of of translation, the work of psychic elaboration will certainly try to to build a, around it a shell again, and to give it meaning, and to give it to give it a, a coating that is compatible with the patient's uh, uh, sense of self, the ego, or the, the story, the history of the patient, and so on. For the analyst, what what this means is that he he has to stay true to the principle that you are the one who listens no matter what, that you are the one who lets yourself also be uh, captivated and affected by what the patient, what emerges in the analytic situation, and that by remaining in this uh, firm analytic stance of listening and of, as Laplanche says, of refusing to know, to know what is good for your patient or to know where this analysis should be going, uh, then by your listening, if you are open to the effect of that listening in you, uh, ideas, interpretations, uh, whatever, will emerge that eventually meet the needs of... Uh, uh, the construction that needs to be to be to be made around this nucleus. So it's not a matter of of adopting any special technique around the actual. It's a being aware that you you are in, that the crisis that you are encountering is not a failure of analysis, but it's an, an unavoidable element of the process, and that you have to to stay the course and keep listening and keep also be being available to what emerges in you that will eventually uh, lead to 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 an interpretation and uh, to the capacity to assist the patient in their 
in their renewed symbolization that can be made around these these things. I give examples in my book to uh, uh, one major example, which I, I think should be clearly uh, explaining what, I, what I'm saying here, where, you know, it, it can take a form that is, that is very unprecedented in our practice. In the, in the case that I, I'm alluding to, as you know, I, I was brought to, to uh, putting my hand on the patient's uh, forehead in order, in order to, to, and I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was brought there by, by the situation. And it so happened that it was uh, effective in, in, the, in placating uh, the, the, the crisis that, that, was, that, was, uh, uh, that was present at that moment. But it can take uh, many other forms. And mostly, generally, it takes the form of a, 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 a thought that pops up in, either in the analyst or in the patient or in both uh, that 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 gives a new a new direction to the situation. I love that example because I'd had a similar situation kind of in my practice fairly recently, and I've heard other people describe the similar moments where it's almost I don't know an anguished moment for the analyst and the client when you when it's not known what can be done and. But then when you're lucky, something happens that changes everything. And it's a very important moment. Um, but I wanted to ask you, so what is this actual thing? Because I could see different maybe theorists kind of conceptualizing it differently in terms of, is it a trauma? Is it an unacceptable sexual idea that has to be repressed back into the unconscious? Is it what Laplanche would say is um, an enigmatic sexual message from the parents that the child just can't make sense of and and translate? And so it, you know, what do you what is it? Well, well, uh, you mentioned Laplanche, and of course, uh, unsurprisingly, I will I will certainly refer to Laplanche too. I wouldn't say that it is the message. What is important is that. The, 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 the enigmatic message that Laplanche speaks of needs to be translated by the child. Now, the child cannot possibly fully translate the sexual content of, uh, which was emitted unconsciously by the parent any, any way. And therefore, this failed translation is what Freud himself in his famous letter 50, that was called letter 52, uh, 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 describes as the the real process of repression. You know, he speaks of uh, the the psyche as uh, uh, undergoing constant transcription and translation of the memory traces, which is a very a very modern and contemporary idea, by the way. So the mind is never at rest, and the the the, the memory traces are not a collection. Of of uh, of stable uh, images or pictures or stories in our in our memory, it's it's a it's a, a, a live process that undergoes constant retranscription, uh, and therefore uh, uh, failures in that retranscription leaves behind what Laplanche calls the 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 object sources of the drives now. Let let keep aside the drives for now. The what matters is the the fact that f- on the one side translation can create meaning. This is what our minds and our brains were evolved to do, uh, and it, this is an instinct that is inescapable in all of us to to construct meaning to make sense of of the world around us, but. The failure is due to the discrepancy between the situation of the child and that of the adult in that the child could not possibly possess the code for effectively uh, making sense of the enigmatic uh, part of the message from the adult. 
by the way, the adult is also unconscious of emitting this enigmatic part. So that it, the translation is bound to fail and to leave behind something that is not inserted in the process of meaning and therefore it takes a, a, th a thing like uh, nature. It, 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 it is what Freud himself used to call thing presentations for the unconscious by contrast with word presentations in the pre-conscious. So here we enter an area where we, we, we would need to discuss more precisely what we mean by the unconscious and by repression. You know, in Freud himself, it was uh, sometimes it was, the boundaries were blurred between the unconscious as that which is not conscious and the unconscious in the sy systematic sense, that is, of what is a thing like. He, he, he would speak of etwas andere in, in German, which means something extraneous, something strange, something other, something other in us. This is what the, the actual is about. It's, it's a, it, it has a, a thingness about it. And it, it, it has it. And this is what I, I tried also to address in, in my chapter on, in the book that you mentioned on represented states. That is, it's not re yet psychic, truly. It's, it's bound to become mentalized, but it is not yet. The, the, the system, the system unconscious is not made of words or images or representations. It is made of this thing-like matter that we cannot possibly describe by definition, since we only know it as, uh, uh, as interrupting the process of thinking and of representing. Okay, and so with Laplanche, this thing, which is the, the result of a, a failure of retranscription or, or a failure of transcription, it's failure of translation of something sexual that the child encountered in the unconscious of the parent. So with, with Laplanche, the unconscious always has this sort of, it's embedded in the, in the sexual, but I don't get in your book the sense that it, it always is. The, the, the actual thing is, is, is it related to, to sexuality? Well, I, I would say it is. If it, if it doesn't come out as clearly as I just said, perhaps it's a, it's a defect in my writing. But yes, the, the, the essential idea is that this unconscious is the sexual. However, you need to let go of the conflation that is often made between the sexual in the Laplacian term and sexuality. Uh, you know, sexuality, genitality, or whatever, has little to do with what it meant here. It's it's really the dimension of what uh, emanates from the adult's sexuality, of course, but which escapes the adult's very own uh, understanding and therefore his sexuality as, uh, you know, a complex of behaviors, desire, desires that can be spoken and so on. It is really this, this utterly uh, foreign aspect that, that has to do with the excitability of the body, which has to do with the unspeakable element of, of the sexual. So the thingness is of the sexual in the sense that it is the only domain where the communication between adult and child is not symmetrical. You know, Laplanche was very, uh, very clear that he had no quarrel whatsoever with attachment theory. Quite to the contrary, this is an undisputable observational fact that there are attachment processes between mother and child, for instance. However, what he, what he uh, called our attention to is that attachment is not uh, even in the most well-adapted attachment process, there is something that cannot possibly be uh, treated on, on an equal footing by child and, and, and adult, and this is the sexual. Because for Laplanche, and I, 
I follow him in this, there is no inborn infantile sexuality, contrary to what Freud uh, suggested. Uh, the, the biological sex, sexuality happens at puberty, but before that, infantile sexuality is implanted by the adult-child relationship, by the unconscious of the adult emitting these uh, sexually contaminated, if you want, uh, if I can say so, uh, sexually contaminated messages that the child cannot make sense of uh, fully. So yes, the actual is the sexual in, La, in the Laplacian sense, but not it's not sexuality in the in the ordinary parlance, uh, even in the in the in the way that many uh, many analysts speak of you know, uh, of uh, a sexual unconscious, meaning uh, sexual scenarios, actually. These are post hoc constructions by all of us uh, around this, uh, this kernel of uh, uh, overexciting and uh, uh, never, 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 never resolved push for uh, uh, something that we cannot speak of. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk. We're, I, we probably have like 10 minutes left. So, um, but I, I would love to explore that further. I had a, I'll disguise this a little bit, but a patient come in recently with a very interesting neurotic symptom. And as we began to sort of explore where this came from, and when he was a child, he accidentally stepped on a small animal's head, a domestic animal, and crushed the skull. And And I think it was a horrific event that was, we could say repressed, and now has come back 50 years later in some very um, dramatic ways. And I remember thinking, well, so there's a thing there that happened that was never psychically formulated, but it doesn't have anything to do with the sexual. But I guess maybe if I thought about it more, I might find ways where um, there is a something in the sexual that around this thing that happened. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, well, you see, uh, first of all, uh, of course, we have to believe our patients, uh, what the, the story they tell us, but in a very analytic sense, that is, we have to believe that this is the version that they have in their, in their mind, in their memory, but also consider that the, we, in, in a 50-year span, there has been a lot of retranslation and retranscription, and who knows what, uh, why this specific story uh, uh, remained so, so strongly active in the patient's memory and what it was linked to. So the, I think that the notion, uh, for instance, the idea of crushing uh, and, and crushing the head, well, what, what is that? Let, let me speculate here. I speculate freely and would never do that with the patient in, in the room. Uh, but how uh, the idea of crushing the head can also, for instance, uh, reflect the notion that his own head dash mind uh, had been, uh, you know, uh, crushed by something that could not be uh, understandable uh, at the time. So that the memory could eventually, but this is again pure speculation, be be found to be related to a personal experience of having been crushed by a scene that was uh, uh, non-manageable by the child, for instance. So, uh, but of course, we have to be ready to be taken to places that we, we didn't expect to go by our patients. And our theories have to be challenged by the, 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 the actual experience with, with our patients, of course. Okay, well, thank you for that. It's obviously a temptation on these interviews to start getting supervision with with my clients, but um, let's just uh, finish up with a couple questions. Uh, so, so your book really emphasizes this the temporality of the unconscious as opposed to, I don't know, the spatial emphasis that we hear so much spatial being topographies and structures. Can you can you say a little more about that? Well, yes, you know, this, you know, the, the metaphysical uh, temptation is to, to, to give a, a, a space oriented uh, 
uh, image of, of, of the mind, of the psyche, and to think, for instance, of repression as putting aside or pushing down in some, in some black box contents of the mind and, and so on, which, of course, is, uh, is just a, a metaphor. However, when we speak, uh, we tend to reify the metaphors and to, and to end up asking ourselves where, uh, where did this go? Or, so how, or, or, for instance, this paradox, how can you repress something that you are not aware of? Uh, so how can you put in this black box something without handling it, so to speak, and, and therefore being somewhat aware of? There is a, a kind of conundrum there. But if you think in terms of time and in terms of process rather than space, uh, then you, 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 will, you will be spared such a problem. And most importantly, you will, you will be uh, more at ease with, with things that emerge uh, without any reference to, to, to space. Because uh, as Freud said, you know, the, the mental apparatus that he talked about is a theoretical fiction. It's, it's something that we need to, to use in order to say something, but it's, it's, it's fiction in, in, the, in the end, whereas time certainly is not. Time is not a metaphor in our case. It's, it's, the, it's the, the, real, the real thing, so to speak. It's the process. And uh, most importantly, it's the fact that in order for something to be mourned, for something to really pass to become the past we can only work in terms of time we cannot it's not a question of locating things somewhere in the mind we don't have access to this geography of the mind we know that the brain even the brain the material brain does not function in that way there are no no spaces special spaces in in the brain there are processes that are very, very um, uh, th that engage the whole uh, the whole apparatus. But time t locating uh, around a, along a timeline is the is the successful uh, result of a process for something that was out of this uh, chronological timeline and which was not past and therefore was not let's say, digested, was not processed, was not mourned, and was kept as a, as a foreign body that continues to, to trouble the, the, the situation, to, to disturb the patient. It reminds me of how often I hear analysts, and including me, sometimes talking about um, parts of the client. You know, there's there's a part of you that wants to this, or there's a part which is a spatial kind of metaphor, and it's you know useful sometimes. But this temporal way of sort of <laughs> opens up a new way of kind of getting at what's going on with clients, which is really helpful. Yes, you see, for instance. Uh, Paul Valéry, uh, which was a, a great thinker, French thinker at the beginning of the 20th century, would say about being and thinking, he would say, sometimes I am and sometimes I think. So this was an anti-Cartesian statement. Car Car Descartes would say, I think, therefore I am. Valéry said, sometimes I think and sometimes I am, which I think is very important for us analysts because being in the sense of not thinking is what happens uh, most of the time. And therefore, we are subjected to the workings of these uh, elements, these thing-like elements and processes in, in ourselves. Whereas thinking means taking really into the, into the realm of, of consciousness and of, of, of symbolization something that was in the, in the realm of being and therefore... Uh, subtracting it to the to the uh, subtracting it from its capacity to to disturb us uh, 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 as much as it did before because we now have a symbol for that we now have the capacity to think about it and share it and uh, and somehow direct it in a in in, in a different way okay um 
You know, I, I always write up a little blurb about the books I interview that go on our website. <clears throat> and somewhere in my notes, I had this quote um, about your book that somebody said, um, quote, a new itinerary through the vast landscape that is Freud. But I didn't write down where I got that. And now I can't. And I want to, <laughs> whoever said that, I want to cite them. But does that sound familiar to you? Uh, yeah, yes and no. Uh, my, I, I would, I would believe that perhaps Howard Levine may have said that. I, I'm oh. not sure. Uh-huh. That might. Okay, that gives me an idea of where to go back and look. But um, but I, I thought it was good one because this vast landscape um, that is Freud, it really is working closely with Freudian metapsychology, which is not something I've I mean, it's kind of going back to year one of my candidate, my candidate training, where we were just reading Freud for a whole year, <clears throat> and um, I th- and I'd kind of th- left that behind. But you you're definitely bringing me back and redeeming the value of that metapsychology in a way I I sort of lost. Well, if this is yeah. so, then I. W- I have not written the book uh, uselessly. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, I thank you for this remark. I, I think indeed it's important. There is a lot to criticize in Freud. And for instance, uh, following Laplanche, we can criticize a lot in his uh, theory of uh, phylog- phylogenetic transmission and his uh, reliance on inborn drives and uh, inborn fantasies and so on. But there is a lot still to work with uh, to work on with Freud because there is a it, it's really a, 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 in, indeed a, a very wide landscape where we have a a, a number of of uh, of things to 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 bring back to to our psychoanalytic consciousness and uh, Freud is not is far from having been you know uh, resolved as as a question to us. Well, thank you very much for taking your time and for writing this terrific book. Thank you. Thank you for having invited me, and uh, I, I really enjoyed this. You've been listening to an interview with Dominic Scarfoni about his book, The Unpassed, The Actual Unconscious, here at the New Books and Psychoanalysis podcast. Check out our website and feel free to email me with your comments and questions. Thanks for listening. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.